Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms in chapter 8. And, well, I thought I'd take on a big subject today. I thought I'd talk about the universe. Um, you can't get anything much bigger than that, but you can. God is bigger than the universe. And uh, so I want to talk about the universe and God and what's that got to do with each and every one of us. If we go to Psalm chapter 8, and we'll read a few verses here. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. And I think that really explains it all, because people uh, wonder, well, where did it all come from? Where did uh, this universe, and it's, of course, it's immense, it's just, we can't comprehend it, it just goes on and on and on. And uh, so what's behind it all? The answer simply is God. God made it all. We're told in Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so it talks about the glory of God. And when you read your Bible and you, you look to the future, and um, <clears throat> you know I've been looking at those things quite a bit lately because I've, obviously it's coming a lot closer for me. And uh, we think about, What's going to happen to us afterwards? And there's a great verse in Romans that says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We're going to be a part of God's glory. Jesus, when he was saying that prayer in John 17, he said, Father, glorify thou me with the same glory that I had with you before the world began. So this is beyond our comprehension. But uh, so this this really tells us straight away uh, what it's all about. And we're going to read in verse 2, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And so what he's saying here is that he has revealed the truth to simple people. People that uh, really think in an uncomplicated way uh, like little children do. And so <clears throat> it's repeated in the New Testament as well. And strangely enough, in this so-called enlightened age, we are less enlightened than we ever were as a race of people because so many people have decided they're going to work it out a different way. They're not going to do it God's way, but God has revealed the truth the simple truth to people who simply believe in him and accept him for what he is, the creator of all things, and his son is the saviour of their soul. We're going to read, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. And uh, I love this verse. It reminds me of my younger days at Matamakla and uh, reminds me of uh, the hot summer's night when we didn't have air conditioning and uh, if it was really hot inside, we'd go out and uh, snatch a bit of sleep on the lawn and we'd be lying there and you could look up on a beautiful clear night in the middle of summer and you could see all the stars twinkling away there. And uh, I think that I had an advantage over city slickers because uh, here you get so much smog and stuff that uh, you, you can't see it to the same extent as you can out in the uh, in the clear country side and so on. So, but when you look up there and you consider it all and you think God made all that, 
And when we come to the Lord, we can say, my father made all of that. And uh, it's uh, it's certainly something. And he says here, when we consider all of this, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And so it brings us back to earth, literally. And we think, well, you know, why has God bothered about us? But when you stop and think about it, there is something really special about this planet. We, we keep on knowing that, that, uh, I mean, people, uh, that make all these, uh, these great, uh, uh, things of, about, you know, travel things and nature and everything and some amazing stuff that gets pumped out, even by people who don't believe in God and they marvel at his creation, but they don't want to give him the credit for it. And, but this planet is unique. It's, uh, it's certainly unique in our solar system. They call it the blue planet when uh, they get out there and have a look from a distance. And it's, it, it can sustain life as we know it. None of the other planets in our solar system can. And as far as we know, there is no other planet in the whole of the universe that is quite like ours. And people keep on thinking, oh, if we go there, we might find another place. Who'd want to do that? You'd have to live for an umpteen number of generations You'd have to have a pretty big spaceship to go there. And uh, so what would happen? Fancy you, you set out on a journey like that and you'd, you say to your kids, well, you're never coming back here again, but maybe your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren might land on some other place like Earth and um, probably find if there is such a place it might even be a bigger mess than what we've got. But, uh, but all I'm trying to say is that this is an amazing planet and God made this planet. And when you read the, the opening chapters of the Bible, it seems like God really made the, 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 it says he made the heavens and the earth. He made all of that. But the centerpiece is this planet. And the, the reason why he did that is because, why does God do it? It's because God is love. And if you're a loving creature, you want to be able to share with other people. And so he decided to make this amazing planet called Earth and he decided to put all sorts of uh, uh, things on it to sustain life and uh, the animals and last of all he made mankind because he wanted to communicate with these people. Now a lot of people think that uh, uh, Adam was the first man. I think that that's probably not the best explanation. We read in, in Genesis 1 about he created male and female, but in Genesis 2 we see about Adam being formed out of the, the dust of the ground, and I believe that that was the second thing that, that happened maybe about 6,000 years ago, and the others were there long before that time. But the important thing is that God made it all, and that he wanted to have a relationship with us. And so it says we are marvelling at the fact that God wants to deal with us and he says, and the son of man, the human race, that you visited him, you have made him a little lower than the angels, quoting from Genesis there, and has crowned him with glory and honour. And so <clears throat> God has got his angels, and we read about them in the Bible, and there's certain revelations of them along the way that when speaking to people, of God's uh, people with a message and so on, uh, but they haven't got what we've got. God uh, wanted to make us something special, people that uh, he could uh, 
have a relationship with and that we could return the love that he shows towards us. And we go on to read, uh, you made him a little, and you gave him, you made him to have, uh, that's mankind, to have dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God's reputation is just absolutely amazing. And if people stop, and and many people do, uh, admire the creation, but they don't want to know the creator. And boy, do they miss out big time. Okay, all right, we'll just look at a few more things now. Just a, well, I've got lots of things here, but anyway, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, just a few verses here. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter on faith and it describes many people who exercise faith and the great victories that they had. It starts in verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, the substance means it's, uh, it's, it's the base, it's the foundation. Faith is the, uh, is on what we can build on things that we're hoping for and it's the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> the, the fact that things are so real in the spiritual realm are because people can have faith. And uh, sadly, there's not a lot of them around these days. We read, For by it the elders obtained a good report, and through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. It's, it's because we believe that we can accept that God made it all. And it just makes life so much simpler. We understand because we have faith that was framed by the word of God. God spoke it all into being. And then he said, let there be light and there was light. And let this happen and let that happen. And, and he created all of these things. And last of all, mankind. And, uh, and we read, uh, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so here we go again. Behind it all, we've got God, who is a spirit. It's a different realm. And people are wanting to to, to uh, test. They want to be scientific. And uh, the Bible talks of uh, science falsely so-called. It is because they're trying to work God out through natural means, and God is not natural. He is supernatural. He's there, very much there, but people who just want to shut him right out, I guess he's really saying, well, if you want to shut me out, well, that's your problem. I'm still here. If you want to wake up to yourself and start looking for me, I'm available. But the things which we see were not made by things which appear. And we can look around here and we can say, well, we're in this beautiful building and some people made it and so on, but what about the material? that it was made with. Well, God put it there in the first place and so it was made by God and by his uh, agencies. Okay, let's have a look at a few things now. I mentioned about Genesis 1 and uh, and so on, but uh, uh, we'll, go, we'll go to... I think I've covered enough to sort of let you know what I think about that, but if we go to Genesis chapter 12, uh, and I want to just... Uh, well, we're talking of the big picture... And God's got a big plan. And that's what the story of the Bible really is. It starts off and uh, 
uh, why people want to debate over the beginnings of everything. Uh, I don't think God wants us to debate over those things. Just accept that he made it and that he sent his son to, to deliver us out of our troubles we got into. But then he just, just a few chapters at the beginning, just saying he started it all. And then because mankind had gone astray, he had a plan to reconcile mankind back to himself. And he was going about it. He had a long-term plan. He's got plenty of time. He's there for eternity. So a few years here and there beside the point to him. But we go to Genesis chapter 12 and we read in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And now this is the sort of thing that God did when he had something that needed to be accomplished. He'd just tell somebody that he had chosen. And he said to this man, Abraham, as his name was then, it was changed later to Abraham, when it was uh, made clear he was going to uh, be an ancestor to a great multitude of people. And uh, so he said, look, just get out of where you are. Leave your, your home and leave all that you've been brought up with and so on. And it was the era of the Chaldees, which is apparently not uh, very good. Um, but he said, I want you to get out of that and uh, and I will... Um, uh, and, and I'll show you where, where you're going. And it tells us elsewhere that he didn't know where he was going. He just knew that God said go. And so he goed. And uh, we read in verse 2, And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in all shall all families, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And uh, so, uh, for a time, uh, Abraham and his descendants, he had a son Isaac who was a miracle child born when when Abraham was uh, 99 and Sarah, his wife, was 90. And uh, so this was the miracle child. And uh, then uh, Isaac uh, uh, had uh, a couple of, uh, uh, well, he had some twins, uh, Jacob and Esau, but Jacob in particular, he uh, the storyline goes through him in the main, and uh, he had 12 sons, and they became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you read the Old Testament story of how that God blessed them when they uh, did as they were told, <coughs> and he chastised them when they weren't doing as they were told, and that happened pretty often. And then <coughs> along the way, we find, uh, well, that they, they went down uh, they went down to Egypt in the, the time of uh, famine, uh, Joseph was involved in that, and and we uh, we we pick the story up in in uh, in Exodus. As, oh, I'm just trying to cover a little bit about this plan, and I've just got a few dot points along the way. Trouble is, I'll make big dots, and uh, <clears throat> and so uh, yeah, I can hear I can hear Steve thinking he thinks that's why I'm dotty, but anyway, but. Uh, um, <clears throat> I don't need to put words into his mouth. Um, anyway, Exodus um, uh, chapter 2, and here we still see the story of Moses. Now, Moses was born into slavery, and uh, they'd been down there for hundreds of years in Egypt, and they multiplied, as God's people do, lots of kids, and uh, so they were actually killing the little boy babies. And <coughs> But Moses' mum... Uh, took him down to hide him and uh, made a little uh, ark out of the, the, the rushes and uh, had him floating on the water 
the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, came down and found him and, uh, and, and, and literally adopted him uh, to become a prince, uh, which was a pretty uh, big change, of course, and uh, his own mother was actually organised by his big sister. Big sisters come in handy sometimes, and Moses certainly was it is big sister a lot. Anyway, so uh, he was brought up as a prince, and uh, then when he grew up, he realised that he was an Israelite, and he saw an Egyptian ill-treating an Israelite, and he killed the Egyptian, and then he had to run away. And uh, so he ran away, and uh, years later, he was out... Uh, We'll pick it up in chapter 3 of Exodus. And Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I've got to have a look at this. And so God spoke to him and told him to take his shoes off. He was on holy ground. And I'm sure he did. And then God told him, uh, we'll pick it up in uh, in verse, um, we go down to about verse 7. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. And I know their sorrows and I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them into a better place. And now in verse 9 he said, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression with the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, but I don't want to do that. And But God said, too bad, you're going to. And so he came up with all sorts of excuses, but in the end, God got his way, because he was determined to make sure that his people were delivered from the slavery that they were in. And that these sort of stories are repeated in one way or another, and I think we're well versed with the story of Moses. Even people who haven't read their Bible much have, uh, have seen uh, how that he, uh, uh, he, he led them for 40 years in the wilderness and there was all sorts of miraculous things happened. And finally they came to the edge of the promised land. And then if we go over to uh, to the book of Joshua... And we find there, we can just find that. Yeah, there we go. Joshua was, uh, Moses' right hand man. And, uh, so when Moses, uh, died, uh, we read first verse in the book of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over Jordan, all of this people, uh, unto the land which I give to them, even the children of Israel. And so he said, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. It's your turn now. And you have been called to do this. And he said, I've commanded you to be strong and courageous. And the Lord said he will give him the land. And, uh, and so he had his turn. And these were in their generations, the people were coming along, and uh, some of them were very faithful. Uh, they weren't perfect, uh, but nevertheless, uh, God uh, was happy with them because they did things in faith. And so we had Moses and then Joshua, and, uh, and then there were judges and so on that came along. Some of them were good and some weren't so good. And, uh, but then later on, uh, we find um, the little story here uh, of Ruth. Let's have a look at, at Ruth. 
she was a nice girl, Ruth. And uh, anyway, she um, she was actually a Moabitess. And <clears throat> there's a, quite a story about this. Uh, her mother-in-law uh, had left uh, Israel uh, with uh, Naomi, her name was, and her husband and two sons, and they came to the Moab, and uh, and the the two boys got married. One of them married Orpah, and one married Ruth. And uh, <clears throat> but the uh, it seemed to be a bad place for for men, and all the three guys died. And so Ruth decided that she was going to go back to Israel. Uh, not Ruth. Naomi decided this, and Ruth said, I, "I want to come too." Orpah decided not to. And so it's a big story and a wonderful story. But anyway, she went back there and she finished up married to a guy called Boaz. Ruth chapter 4 and uh, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in under her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. And uh, and the women said unto Naomi, who was pretty miserable about having lost her uh, husband and two sons, but she had this amazing daughter-in-law. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. He, he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher in thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better than even seven sons, has borne him. And so appreciate your, uh, your, your in-laws when they're good to you. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse under it. This was, uh, well, basically the, the grandmother, I guess. And the woman, her neighbours gave it a name saying, this is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Now this David became King David. And so Ruth, even though she was a Moabitess, she became a part of God's plan. And uh, God does all of these things for good reason. And so ultimately, David became king, and we could look at that story too of how that he was chosen. He was the youngest of a large family of boys, but they 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 looked. I mean, he was younger, and the older brothers looked big and strong and handsome and all this sort of stuff. And the Lord said, "No, I can see right through them. They look all right on the outside, but I'm looking on the inside. That little boy, the teenager." He's the one I want. And he became the king. And he was a descendant of uh, this Naomi and, uh, and, and Boaz. And, uh, and so ultimately, um, you can trace it right back that Naomi was actually in the earthly sense an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. And so, um, so the whole story is, uh, is very, very exciting really. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you another, about another lady. We, we, we Maybe guys get more than their fair share, all the ladies said, but anyway. Um, but uh, if we have a look at the book of Esther, and uh, <coughs> this is, uh, well, Esther uh, was, uh, well, she was a bit like uh, Moses in the sense that she was born in, in captivity, and she was raised up there, um, and, um, <coughs> well, through a series of circumstances, the king had a had a wife who was a bit of a liver, and uh, she refused to do as she was told, so he got rid of her, and um, and then he had a beauty contest, and uh, and Esther won it, and she became the queen and, um, and a real favourite with the king, and uh, so 
just like Moses was uh, brought out of slavery, if you like, into a very privileged position for God's reasons, so that he could have this access to, to Pharaoh and so on and lead the people out. And Esther, uh, the, her people, the Jews, were really under trouble. There was, there was a nasty guy there called Haman who just hated them and he wanted to get rid of them and he was manipulating and so on. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Esther's uncle came to her and said, now look, you've got to go in and talk to the king because he won't listen to anybody else. And so uh, she didn't want to because, uh, well, even though she was the queen, uh, the, the, the guys were so dominant in those days. You, you think, those guys are bullies. You ought to have been around in those days. Anyway, so we're not bullies, though. Certainly in the Lord, we're nice guys. Uh, anyway, I won't ask for a comment on that. And we try to be anyway. And so there's... Um, uh, so... Poor old Esther, being told by her uncle, uh, Mordecai, you've got to go and tell the king, uh, and you've got to represent the, the uh, your people there. And, um, and we, um, verse four, chapter four of Esther, uh, verse twelve, and they told to Mordecai Esther's words. And then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. You can't hide behind the fact that you're the queen. You're a Jewess. And uh, and, and, and your, the sentence of death is upon you just as much as all the other Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I, I think that's just a fantastic little verse, that one. And she, all of her life, was really coming to a climax at this particular time. At this time. That's why you're here. That's why you were, that's why you were born beautiful in the first place. So for those ladies who are born beautiful, well, use it to God's advantage. Don't spend all day looking in the mirror and admiring yourself. Just uh, use what you've got. If you've got a beautiful face or a beautiful personality for all of us, use it for God's glory, not to just, anyway, I know that our ladies don't do any of those silly things. Anyway, so there we go. So you come to, to the Lord and you, with whatever you've got, and, and whatever you've got, God expects you to use it. And there comes a special time for most of us when we need to stand up and be counted when no one else can do what you can. Anyway, let's go to the New Testament. Another lady, of course, maybe the famous, most famous uh, lady in the Bible was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, um, and she too uh, was, was chosen. Now she wasn't, uh, well she was have been, in a sense she was part of the royal line because, I mean many generations had passed since David, but she was a descendant of King David herself. And, um, and so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1 uh, and uh, we read there, verse 26, in the sixth month the angel of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel was sent from God 
unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to be a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in to her and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled in his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What on earth is this all about? I'm not used to having visits from angels. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, which means Saviour. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How can this be? I don't know a man. I've never been with a man. And so she was engaged to Joseph, but they weren't married yet. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, in God's plan, God who is a spirit had to bring uh, his, his spirit into a human form to be able to fulfill the work of reconciling wayward mankind back to him. And so he started off by bringing in this special person, this uh, this only person, the only begotten Son of God. And so Mary was chosen for this particular task, and uh, so she gave birth to Jesus. He was, was her son, but he was also the Son of God. And so, uh, uh, yeah, down in verse, um, there's another great passage here i uh, like to... Uh, read if I can find where I wrote it down. Um, yeah, verse uh, 46. This is what Mary said. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. Now, I know there are some people who think that Mary was the mother of God. No, she wasn't. She was the mother of Jesus. Uh, but, um, uh, but also, we read here, and... My spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. She needed a Saviour the same as everyone else. And um, and she said, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. We have regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. So here she was. She wasn't, uh, you know, a famous princess or beauty queen or anything. She was just a very genuine uh, lady that uh, the Lord, had, uh, you could see, was uh, made of the right stuff. As regarded the lower state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Not in the way that the Catholics do, that make a goddess out of her. For he that is mighty has done to me great things and holy in his name. By the way, she was there on the day of Pentecost to receive the Holy Spirit along with the others. You read about that in Acts chapter 1. Anyway, so that was Mary. And then, of course, we uh, we get Jesus who... Uh, uh, is the most special of all. And I just want to talk uh, about a, a few little things here. There's just so many verses we could look at, but I'll take you to Mark chapter 1, uh, and just how we um, remember, uh, when you start looking it up, funny how you, you're researching a particular thought you've got in mind, and you, you find all sorts of things. Now, I remember reading that, and I remember reading that. There are many times... In the life and ministry of Jesus, he said, well, either said, well, look, my time is not here yet, 
or the time is near. And uh, here's one of them. He starts his ministry in Mark chapter 1, and I'm just going to take you to uh, a couple of verses. Verse 14. Now, after the John, as John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The time which had been prophesied from ancient times of the coming of the Saviour, the Messiah. People knew that there was a Messiah coming sometime, but he said, here it is, the time is now. He was just beginning his ministry, but other times along the way he said, well, the climax of my ministry here hasn't arrived just yet, but the, the general time, I'm here preaching the gospel, I'm telling people to believe in the, that I'm here to uh, to deliver them and so on. If we go to John chapter 4, there's another couple of references to the time of things. And this is, um, again, a famous story we often quote. It's when Jesus was at Samaria and uh, his disciples had gone into the town to get some provisions and he was talking to this woman that was there at the well and, um, and she said, well... Jews don't normally talk to, to uh, Samaritans and that uh, he'd asked for a drink of water and, and instead started talking about living water which of course is, is the Holy Spirit uh, but down a little bit more um, he said um, we'll take it to uh, verse 20 and in her conversation she said our fathers worshipped in this mountain now uh, the Samaritans were sort of a mixture of other races that came in as well, but it sort of got going in the time when the two kingdoms were, were when the kingdom of Israel was split into two, and under Jeroboam they were up there and they were worshiping idols and all sorts of stuff, and uh, and so they stayed there. And, and but she was hanging on to their traditions. She said, "Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship." And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. I think it really means that not only here and there, but, uh, but, but all around the world. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming. Now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he was saying, look, that the time is upon us now when the Holy Spirit is going to come into people's lives. And this is an important part of God's plan. And you know, the, the longer I'm in the Lord, and the longer that I uh, think about the Holy Spirit and, and pray in the Spirit and all this sort of thing, uh, the more amazing and wonderful it becomes to me. And so for those of you who perhaps think, oh, well, it's just speaking in tongues or something like that, no, just press in and, and, and get yourself really involved in the Spirit because God is a Spirit and it's God working in our lives and the fruit of the Spirit is growing and you, you need to be developing that more and more. We never stop growing in the Lord. And uh, so anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, let's go to chapter 12, and uh, we read here uh, again. Uh, we might start in uh, in verse 23, 
Uh, there were some people who wanted to come and see Jesus, and this was his answer. Uh, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so he said, it's, uh, it's just around the corner that uh, that I'm going to be glorified. But of course he was going to be ridiculed, he was going to be persecuted, he was going to be tortured, he was going to be killed, nailed to the cross and so on. But out of all of that he was going to rise from the dead and he was going to be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it, it, it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Now, I'm the old farmer, but I think most of you know that if you want to grow anything in your garden, you put the seed in and you've got to water it and it actually ceases to be as it was and it bursts forth with this new life. And what he's saying here is that he needs to die if he's going to get fruit for the kingdom of God. He needs to to, to, to be taken and then buried in the ground and to come forth again and to go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit so that people can be truly born again. They bury their old life in waters of baptism, they receive the Spirit, yes, they speak in new tongues, but there's a wonderful new life that springs forth from that. And so he's not only is he saying that uh, that he has to die, but he goes on to say that we too have to die to our old way of life. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And so, as Pastor Steve was saying in his testimony, even at the young age that he was, and he'd uh, got into so much trouble, but he he just he really wanted out. God could see that. And others of us did too. I mean, it's interesting. We were all around about the same age, around 20 or early 20s and so on. And um, I think I told the story when I was describing the testimony up in Wyala of, of a number of our pastors who'd been druggies and all sorts of things. And Ron Diskin uh, came to me and he says, uh, where do you get all your pastors from? And, uh, and then he told me about Chaz Hilder because he knew uh, people there. might have told this story, but it's a good one. And uh, and he said about Pastor Chaz, and the guy said, not Charlie Hilda. He said, yeah, no way. This guy said, no way. But anyway, praise the Lord. That's what's happened. You see, we were people who weren't satisfied with the life that we were living. We didn't want to get more of the things of this world. We wanted out of this world. And then Pastor Laurie's testimony, Jimi Hendrix, that's all there is, you poor bloke. You know, thinking that yeah, poor Jimi Hendrix—that's all there is—and um, and so, um, but anyway, the lad that witnessed to him said, "You you should try Jesus Christ," and he did. Praise the Lord! And uh, and that's that's the lesson for all of us. It's now our time. I guess that's what I'm leading up to with all of this. It's now our time, and uh, we've got to make sure. You know, I've gone over time already. But maybe I was going to talk to you about the Apostle Paul and he got called out and uh, he was called for a purpose. And But if we just finish up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 would be uh, appropriate, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we read in verse 1, We then, as workers together with him, we're working with Christ, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he says, I have heard thee, in a time accepted, and in the day of, sal- of salvation have I succored thee, I have nourished you. But behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now 
is the day of salvation. Let's all see that we, in our own little way, like the, some of the heroes that have been speaking of here today, that we come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And uh, what a time to recognise our calling. And I, I guess I'm appealing to all of us to reassess. We're at the communion service here. We've to examine ourselves. Am I doing as much as I could? Am I really throwing myself on the Lord? Am I hanging on to my old way of life? Or am I letting it go and letting the new life spring forth within me? Am I ready to go and share the good news with the people that I know and the people that I meet?